And in thinking about that, uh, my desire today is that we would grasp and understand the reality of who God has established the church to be. And this is something that if you, if you were to pull me aside and talk to me, this is, this is so important to me. This, is, this very concept is what God used to drive me into ministry to begin with. As I began to understand this vessel that God intended to use for His purposes, it gave me a heart and a longing to see the church thrive as God intended it to. And so, uh, I, I'm, I may get excited in the midst of this message because I'm really passionate about this. And that's why, that's why I love being a pastor, is to shepherd towards this and, and this alone. And so I pray this morning, and we're just going to stop and pray specifically, that we would see clearly what God has desired the church to be, and that we would run after that together and see God move in ways that maybe we haven't before. Okay, So let's just pause, and we're going to pray specifically that God would open our eyes, that we would understand the the realities of this text, and then we're just going to spend the rest of our time walking through that together. Father, we trust you this morning that you have brought each and every one of us here and that this is the message that you desire to communicate. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, remove me and uh, what my perspectives or my opinions would be and that your word would be what communicates clearly and that it would take root amongst us as a family. And Father, that we would leave here with a different perspective, a different motivation, a different desire than what we came when it comes to how we see the church and how we live it out day after day. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know this is a bit of a, can be a bit of a controversial thing in the church, um, but how many of you before have uh, dressed up during this time of year at some point or another in your life? Don't be shy. Come on. I have, okay? We would dress up annually and go around to our family's houses. And uh, it was always kind of fun to decide creatively what you were going to be. And when I was thinking about this, this this last week, the one outfit that stood out in my mind, and then I'm going to talk about my illustration, was... I decided one year I was going to be a Lego. And my mom was so creative with this, and she got this cardboard box and cut armholes in it, and then took cool, cool Whip containers and put the four of them on the box, and then got a smaller box and put one on the top that would sit on my head as a kid. And then we spray-painted it red. And so I, I was a Lego, and it was great up until the time that we decided that I, we needed to get into the van to go. <laughs> and it became such a hassle, because every single time we would stop, we would have to get out, get the box out, put it all on, and then when we go to get back in, we have to repeat the same process. But one of the things that stood out as I think about that is you would see so many people who literally embodied someone else in that time. And little kids, when they dress up, and my girls do the same thing, they put, put on an outfit 
They put on a costume and even their personality becomes something different. And it's magical to see this take place in their minds. Some of you have spent time uh, in the creative arts arena and you see this in acting where a person can embody a character in a way that's just uncanny. They become someone different. And even more so, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about so many young, young men that I see that they could put on a mask or a costume and all of a sudden they become so brave, so strong, they could do anything. And all of a sudden this little boy is a full-grown man who's dressed up as Captain America and I could conquer the world. And as I thought about that, I thought, what would it look like for the church to embody the one it's called to follow after? What would it look like if how we see the church is directly a correlation to who we see the head of the church to be? And we embody or put on what Christ has already modeled, and then come to live in a way that when you just look at my flesh, you go, there's no way, there's no possible way. But all of a sudden, through the power of Christ, I become someone new. Now, hang on to that thought, and we're going to unpack that today. But... As we step into God's Word in the midst of this, I want us to consider the question of, if you were to leave here today and encounter someone who's not a follower of Jesus, who would they say you embody most? Would they simply say, oh yeah, he's just my coworker, my colleague, my friend, or is there something different? Is there something unique? And I'm not saying that somehow that everything that you are needs to be put aside because God has created each and every one of us individually in specific ways for specific purposes. And I love that we are a group of people that are different because if we were all the same, man, this would be boring and probably annoying. So don't don't discredit that, but... We see throughout the text of Scripture that something happens or should happen when we understand the depth of what Jesus has done. And what comes after that should be different than anything else that we've seen. And it should flow into what we see the church become. Now, before we get too far, I want to to read through this statement that this is coming from, and we're going to jump into God's Word together and pull this apart piece by piece. Um, this, is, this is our statement of faith, um, point seven, that focuses on the church. And I want to remind you that this is not simply something that <clears throat> the E-Free Church has come up with and said, this is what we think it should be. This is uh, leaders looking at the Word of God and saying, based on what God's Word says, who are we to be? What are we to do? What is this to look like? And so it says, we believe, and you could put a little tag there that says, we believe that God has made it clear 
that the true church comprises of all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. They're united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, of which He is the head. The true church is manifest in local churches whose membership should be composed only of believers. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. And so there's so much going on here in this statement that I'm, I'm, today I'm going to break it apart into three specific chunks. But the big idea that I want you to grasp, that is if you get nothing else out of this message today, I want you to hone in on this truth. Everything the church is and everything the church does should be rooted in the gospel. Everything the church is and everything the church does should be rooted in the gospel. And we're going to unpack that further as we go. So the first piece of this I want us to unpack together is says we believe that the true church comprises of all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone. They are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ of which he is the head. Christ alone is the head. Everyone say alone. Okay, that's really important. But turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And we're going to jump around a little bit this morning. And I'm going to put each of these passages up as we walk through this. So you can see the pattern uh, that we're going to go and kind of follow and keep track of where each part of this is. And the first thing we're focusing on here is that the true church comprises of all who have been justified by God's grace through faith alone in Christ Alone. Romans chapter 3, we're going to look specifically at verse 21. It says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Everyone say believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Some of your translations will say justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or an atonement by His blood to be received by Faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just, be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, the important Reality in this text is this concept of being justified. And in order to be justified, you have to first recognize there's something that I need to be justified from. And in this case, what I need to be justified from is what? Sin. Everyone say sin. 
And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. Everyone say all. Not just a few of you, okay? No matter how good you think you are. Every one of us has screwed up. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has messed up. And because of that, each and every one of us stands before God unable to meet His requirements. The righteousness of God is something cannot be attained. And yet, the righteousness of God, verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now, this contrast to the law... And the law was simply a list of rules. When you see the word law mentioned in Scripture, it's speaking of the Old Testament law by which people followed to determine, are you righteous enough? Are you good enough? And if you want to see a a great concept of the contrast between what the law taught and what freedom we're given in Christ, read through the book of Galatians sometime. Galatians, Paul's speaking directly to that because people's temptation was to fall back into the patterns of the law. And he's going, why are you doing this when you have freedom in Christ? And that freedom comes from being justified. That is Christ standing in the gap and saying, you are unable to attain this righteousness on your own, so I'm going to take your place, the punishment you deserve, And you can now stand before God justified. Now, the question becomes, how does this correlate to the church specifically? So I'm justified. Well, in John chapter 1, it says that to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. So there's this correlation. Belief. Believe in the name of Jesus and you are justified. To all who believed, who received Him, to all received Him, to who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And so you see there's, there's shifts and changes making place for the person who believes in the name of Jesus to be saved. There's, there's a transition, a change that's happening here. And so now jump with me to Romans 12 and we see... A shift that's taken place. Romans chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 3. The Apostle Paul here says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So, Here we have a shift that's taken place, first starting off in the first part of Romans, speaking directly to our need for redemption from sin, to be justified. And now there's a language shift to where we're talking about body life. And this isn't something that just 
hey, I showed up on a Sunday, and all of a sudden this stuff makes sense. Any of you who have ever visited a church for the first time, you go, yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. And the reality is, this is all part of that shift that's taking place. You see, when we look around, when we process through this, every single one of you is different. Praise God for that. Every single one of you looks differently. Every single one of you has a knack or a giftedness in a specific way. And yet, when we come here and we gather here, why, why do we come? Why, why do we do this? What's the purpose behind it? Well, some of us may say, well, I, I just kind of felt like I need to come to church. And others may say, well, my family comes, so I come. And uh, some of you kids may go, mom and dad made me come. But the reality is, we have to ask ourselves this question, what, what is the church? What is the church? And this picture that's painted in Romans 12 is exactly what God's intended the church to look like. Many members, each different giftings, unique in their own individual way, and yet, what? One, one body. Why one body? Because in Christ, we are united together. In Christ and Christ alone... We're taken from our own flesh, our own sin, our own hardship, our inability to come to God and are justified and join a family of people who say, I'm in the same boat, brother. I'm in the same boat, sister. We're in this together. We need Jesus. And it doesn't matter where we've come from. It doesn't matter where we're at right now. Every single one of us needs Christ. And the church is comprised of all of those who believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. Now, along the same lines, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. So, 1 Corinthians is uh, the, the letter, the book right after Romans. So, just keep turning. 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, that's unbelievers, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by 
the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, I want to challenge you with something. If you are a note taker or you mark in your Bible, I want you to go through and underline or circle or mark every time in that verse it says the same spirit or the same God or one spirit or one God. Because the emphasis here, we often focus just on the gifts in this and we get hung up on this. And yet the emphasis is coming back to a place of saying, do you understand that you are not divided because you are unique? It's the same spirit that gifts you in this way, that gifts so and so in the other way. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's the spirit of God, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. And it's the uniting factor within the church. Specifically, in the second part of that statement, they are united by the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. Now, if you were here with us a couple weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit was promised as a helper from who? Who promised that? Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. And Jesus promised that to his disciples. His dis- the disciples are those who have chosen to follow Christ. So in other words, if you have not chosen to follow Jesus, then you do not have the help of the Holy Spirit and therefore do not have the giftings that are meant to encourage and equip the church. And so all of this ties together To this reality that the church is not a location. The church goes wherever you as a follower of Jesus go. Now think about that. It means you can get together with your family and have fellowship with each other that is united in Jesus. And we can gather here or we could go and gather in another country and be united by the same Spirit. And yet many of us struggle with that because we have grown up always just calling the church the building we come to on Sunday. And I thought this was kind of funny. I sat down this morning, I thought about this, and I thought, all right, how would we interpret all of the passages in Scripture if we interpreted the word church as a building. And here's three things that would happen if we did that, okay? If we interpreted the word church in Scripture as a building, Saul, in Acts chapter 8, was just a demolition guy. He was ravaging the church. He was just destroying property at that point. Okay, but what do we know from that story? He was literally persecuting and executing people who believed in the name of Jesus. In the same way, Peter would have been completely crushed when Jesus said, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. That becomes a terrifying statement if it's a building. Have you thought about that? But we know it's not. Why? 
Because we know that Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm going to use you as my instrument to grow the body of Christ. And then we see that fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 when thousands of people hear Peter's sermon and come to know Jesus. Another thing that I thought about was uh, in the instruction in Matthew 18 for church discipline, that would, be, that would simply look like us lining around this building and yelling at the walls. Okay? Someone wrongs you, go to them, you go again, then you come and you tell it to the church. Well, if it's a building, then I guess we're going to stand here and yell at the walls and assume something's going to happen. That's not what it's talking about. It's coming back to this place of going, this, the, the church is the people. It's you and me who believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. Now, an important aspect of this is in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 1 where it says, for the husband, this is actually speaking of marriage, but it speaks directly to this idea of the church. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. And in Colossians chapter 1, It's speaking of all these attributes of Jesus. And in verse 18 it says, And He is the head of the body, the church. And so the application point here, here's here's what I want you to grasp, okay? Out of this first section of this statement of faith. It doesn't matter what you do. Unless your salvation is secured in Jesus, you are not a part of the true church. Unless your salvation is secured in Christ alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, you can come on a Sunday morning all you want, but that, that is not our desire for you. And maybe I shouldn't speak for some of you, because maybe it is for some of you. It's not my desire as a pastor, as a shepherd, for you to just come on a Sunday. Because it is void of the true depth of what the church is meant to be. It's so much more than that. It's a unity that comes through faith in Christ that cannot be experienced anywhere else where you can travel all over the world and meet people, and all of a sudden you have a connection with these people unlike anything that you've had with a stranger before. Why? Because you're united in Christ. And that should be our focus. That should be our focal point. The second part of this statement says, the true church is manifest in local churches whose membership should be composed only of believers. So, The emphasis here, if we look throughout Paul's letters, he's writing letters to local churches. Romans, written to the church of Rome. 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the church at Corinth. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. All of these are written to local bodies of churches. But what's the neat thing about those? You and I are opening to these, these right now. Why is that? Because the universal church benefits from a focal point 
that's the same. If Jesus is the head of the church, then our eyes are together fixed on that one point. That's where strength comes from. And one of Satan's greatest tactics to divide the church is to get us all thinking about something else and fixing our eyes somewhere else, even if that's fixing our eyes just on our own local church. To distract us from fixing our eyes on the head of the church, Jesus, as His body, His representatives here on earth. What does this mean for us? Well, first, the church, the true church, is universal, not just American. Okay? That's really important for you to grasp. It is universal, not American. It's also local. Now, understand this the local body is not simply a part of the whole, but a manifestation of the whole encapsulating in itself the qualities as a community of believers redeemed by the blood of Christ. Now, as an illustration of that, I'm curious, have any of you ever gone to the grocery store and bought one slice of bread? Anyone? Of course not. Why is that? It's because... What are you going to do with one slice of bread? And some of you would say, oh, I'm going to fold it and make a sandwich. Okay. How do you think the grocery store is going to feel about you opening up the bag of bread and pulling out one slice? Now, the illustration falls short in some ways. But what I want to get at is, how much more benefit is the whole as opposed to one slice? Now that one slice of bread, it's a manifestation of the whole loaf. If you were to pull out a couple slices, the makeup of that bread is going to be the same. You could use those slices in the same ways, but the reality is, it is a manifestation of the whole. The church should function the same way. It shouldn't matter where we're from or what part of town we meet in. It shouldn't matter where our lives come from or where we're at today. If we're united in Christ, then every slice representing the local church should be a manifestation of the whole. And the whole is not something that's been baked up by people here. It should be what God has intended this to be. And when that's happening, man, is that some good bread. Because it comes straight from the bread of life, from Jesus Himself. What's the application in this part that I want to encourage you with? It's to see the church as the church. And that is not to make the church into something that it's not, that God has not intended it to be. It's Local and universal with Christ as the head. It's unique and gifting and united in Christ, but it is, as our main idea states, rooted in the gospel. Now, this third and final section of this says that the Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which visibly and tangibly express the gospel. 
Though they are not the means of salvation, when celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. Now, I could spend probably three or four messages talking about this, okay? So you're going to get the summarized version. But this is of utmost importance, church. First, I want to identify here where it speaks of baptism. In Matthew chapter 28... Jesus, in what we call the Great Commission, it's just Jesus' command to his disciples, he said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus commands baptism to be a part of what they're doing as a work moving forward. In Acts chapter 2, during Peter's sermon at Pentecost, when the people ask, is there anything we can do after he, they're convicted that hey, it's our sin that's caused Jesus to be crucified? Like, we're the ones who crucified him. And he says, repent and be baptized, embodying what Jesus had already commanded. But turn with me to Romans 6. Romans chapter 6, specifically in verse 2. I'm actually going to start in verse 1. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now that's the picture of baptism. Now, I'm going to shift to the Lord's Supper, and then we're going to come back and I'm going to summarize for you why this is so important. In Luke chapter 22, we see Jesus meeting with his disciples. And this is what we know as the Last Supper. And during this time, Jesus takes bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body that's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He takes a cup and he highlights and says, this cup represents my blood that's poured out for you. And for many of you, you go, yeah, we hear this when we take communion. But turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. Jesus implemented this, and then this highlights it in verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Has Jesus come back yet? No. Are you anticipating and excited for him to come back? Yeah, amen to that. Okay? Come, Lord Jesus. But communion should not simply be something we do once a month because we do it once a month. And I've said this before, but church, we have got to get this. Baptism and the Lord's Supper as communion are meant to confirm for you that your salvation is in Christ alone and remind you of His death, His burial, His resurrection. But they're also meant to nourish your soul. They're meant to be a reminder that I don't have to live in bondage. I don't have to stay rooted in my sin, in my unjustified state where I can't come before God because I'm a sinner. But through Jesus, I'm redeemed. I I have freedom in Christ. I have power through the Holy Spirit. He has gifted me in a way that I can serve the body of Christ. And that's not limited by a location. It's not limited to just on Sundays. It's not limited to just... Your family, this is something that when we come to faith in Christ, it transforms and becomes a part of who we are. And when we participate in baptism, it's me standing and saying, I believe this, but I am dying to myself with Christ and I'm raised again to new life and I am following Jesus. And it shouldn't be done flippantly. This, this shouldn't be something that we just, oh man, this is exciting and seems like emotionally encouraging, so I'm just going to do it. But should be a transition point for me saying, I am, I am choosing to follow Christ as the number one priority in my life. And that baptism isn't what saves you. We've already talked about Jesus saves you, but that baptism should be to everyone else them saying, this person is committed. They're devoted to this. And in the same way, the Lord's Supper should have the same kind of effect on us. And I, I fear that we have often diminished that to something that is just a practice that we do. And I have to admit, in, in my life, that in the past has been something I've done because I grew up doing it. But families, talk to your children about the significance of that. Don't just allow them to partake. There's a gospel message there. This is of great value. And we shrug that off when we just do and don't think. And so when it comes to those two things, church, It's to root us back into the gospel. So that everything we are and everything we do stems back to that. It comes back to a focus on that. And so when I think about who the church is called to be according to God's word, the application becomes simply embody the gospel. Church, embody the gospel. And when it comes to the ordinances, we've got to stop and consider the significance of that. But it's not just there. We need to consider the significance of our uniqueness, our giftedness, and what this looks like. We need to stop and consider the fact that the church is unique. The true church, 
made up of followers of Jesus is unique. And it doesn't mean that everybody who believes that there's a God is going to be in eternity. They're, they're not part of the true church. It's only through Christ. And how much more should that motivate you and I to go, this is the power that exists in the true church. I want everyone to know and have the opportunity to be a part of that. Embody the gospel because everything we do and everything we are should be rooted back into the good news that Jesus came and died and rose again so that we can walk in newness of life. Through Christ alone. I want to end with this quote in a book called Evangelical Convictions. It says this God's gospel is now embodied in the new community called the church. This means not only that the gospel creates the church, but also that the church proclaims the gospel. And the church proclaims the gospel, not simply in what the church is called to do, but in what the church is. May that be true of us. May we root into that and fix our eyes on Jesus. And run towards Him in everything that we do, so that when people see the church, not the building, the church, they go... Man, this is the closest to Jesus that I feel like I'm going to get on this earth. That's my prayer. Amen? Now, the worship team is going to come, but we're going to pause here and take a few minutes because in understanding this, our hearts should break when we consider that there are members of our church, brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that are being killed and persecuted for their faith in Jesus, the very thing that unites us together. And so there's a slide that we're going to put up that highlights 10 specific things, 10 specific ways for you to pray as a church. Okay? And we're just going to pause. And as you look at this list, or you think of other things, I want you to just pray out loud short snippets of prayer specifically for the persecuted church. And after a little bit of time, as you guys have prayed, then I will close us and we're going to sing one last song, a song of commitment to say I'm going to choose to stand in awe of what Jesus has already done. So, Let's just pause and quiet ourselves and consider the depth of this. United in Christ with our brothers and sisters all over the world, let's pray specifically for those who are being persecuted for the gospel. Okay? So just speak out from where you are and pray out loud specifically for this and then I will close this. <clears throat> Father, we're burdened for... church. Lord, we recognize that the church is not limited to us right here. It's not limited to our country. Lord, this is 
universal in nature. We praise you for the work of your spirit in so many places. So many that have come to faith in Christ. So many that we will worship with in eternity. And yet, Father, we hurt at the thought and the understanding that many of our brothers and sisters suffer as a result of their faith in Christ. They live in pain and anguish. Families who are separated. Individuals who are imprisoned. Father, I pray that you would remind us to pray for the church. Lord, that you would remind us often of the need to support and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that may not be physically present, but Lord, we understand the power that exists through your Spirit, that it's the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. And so, Lord, we know that we can have faith in your ability to walk alongside and encourage and comfort and give supernatural peace to those who are enduring persecution right now as we meet. Father, use even the persecution of your church to grow it stronger, to make it bolder. And Lord, that your gospel would be heard and proclaimed And that disciples would be made in the uttermost parts of the earth, Lord, all over in every part. Father, we know this has to be a work of you, and so we commit it into your hands. And pray this all in Jesus' name.